The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After his baptism, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against stone. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, there's a strong temptation on a morning like this, with the texts that we have, to do what every pastor loves to do, and that is to give a rip-roaring stewardship sermon. Right? I mean, in this passage in Deuteronomy, it, it really couldn't be written any better. When you finish setting aside, or it says, when you've entered the land that Yahweh your God has given you as an inheritance, and when you've taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land Yahweh is giving you and put them in a basket. It doesn't say, take what you have left over after you've taken care of everything else. It says, take your first fruits that you get, and then you go to the place that Yahweh your God will choose as a dwelling for His name. And you say to the priest in office at the time, you declare in a solemn, sacred way, this is a tenth of what I have been given. And it talks at the end of this passage about how happy everybody is when people are tithing. It talks about how the people who are uh, the, the aliens, those who are in need among you. And it talks about how happy the Levites are and how happy the priests would be when this all goes on. And, but I'm not going to do that this morning. <laughs> Although that's all true. Now, I want to talk about why God would say this to the people he's saying it to at the time that he's saying it. Now, part of it is that God has led his people to, they're right on the east side of the Jordan. They're on the brink of, of taking the land 
that God has promised to them. And Deuteronomy, literally it means a second law, a second giving of Torah. In Leviticus, uh, end of Exodus, Leviticus, we get uh, most of, of Torah, most of the law that God has given to his people. And then uh, and he did that at Sinai through Moses. And then on, on the verge of entering the land, he repeats a whole bunch of it, recapitulates the law. And, and tells the people all of these things. And one of the important things he tells them is when you go into this land, this is what you are going to do. Now, the thing about this land is this land is a beautiful and rich land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land where, where, where you have a great deal of agricultural produce, where you have the things that you would want to have to to live and to live well. Plenty of olive trees for oil, plenty of, of land to graze your flocks and herds, plenty of grape vines that you can make grape juice out of if you're Baptist, and wine if you're not. <laughs> and it's a beautiful, wonderful place. The, the thing is though, if you remember from the story in Numbers, not everybody has gotten the memo that God has given this land to his people Israel. There are people living in the land who, Scripture tells us, have stubbornly decided that they are going to stay there, even though God has given them ample warning that their wickedness has come to its fullness and that they need to get out. And so what God is going to do, he promises his people, is he will fight for them. He will go ahead of them. He will be essentially their, their field marshal when they go into battle so that they will win so that they will be able to take this land that he has given them. And you say, okay, that's fine. Well, here's the thing. Here's why that's important. Back in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, God makes this abundantly clear, starting in verse 7. He says, listen, this is Moses talking to his people, Israel. Look. Yahweh did not set his affection on you. He didn't choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. Actually, you were the fewest of all peoples. No, it was because Yahweh loved you and he kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This is a message that is being given to a people that 40 years earlier were enslaved. And not only were they enslaved, but they were enslaved by the world's leading superpower whose leading military God had defeated miraculously at the Red Sea. This is the last people that you would expect to be able to inhabit a great and a beautiful land like this. These were not the greatest of all people, they were the least of all people. And as I read this passage, it made me think of the Ungame. Does anybody remember the Ungame? Yes. It came out about 1975. And, and for those of you who are a little younger, basically the 70s is what happened when the 60s metastasized. <laughs> And so in, in, the, in the 70s, we got this thing called the ungame. And the deal with the ungame is that there were no winners and there were no losers. It was like, this is participation trophy. This is millennial stuff before, before it's time. There are no winners, no losers. 
you just went around this endless circle of a board game, and basically what you had to do at different points was you had to either share your feelings, or you had to ask somebody else to share their feelings. And this kind of hippie nonsense was all through the culture, and it certainly was going on in, in the Ungame in the mid-70s. Now, I, wanna, I, I should say that I, I understand that this is something that has proven useful in certain therapeutic settings with people uh, who have uh, uh, d difficulty uh, with, with social interaction, and so it is, it is not an entirely bad thing, uh, but I sure, I sure didn't love it. When my parents brought it home and announced that we were going to play the Ungame, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm supposed to just share my feelings, and nobody wins. But I can't win. Why am I playing this game? We played it in my house once. And last, night, last night, I was playing Canasta with my kids. So much of the fun of playing the game is trying to win. I lost to my older daughter, right? <laughs> You may tell you about that when you meet her here next week. But 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 I remember during the during the young game, one of the questions that I got, and I still again I only played this game once, but I remember this. One of the questions that I got, one of the cards I drew was, talk about a time when you felt proud. And I was you know four or five years old, and and I knew exactly when I what what I could share about. See, my my parents had me take swimming lessons as, as early as I possibly could, and so. Uh, my mom had been a lifeguard. She was really, really interested in making sure her children didn't drown, um, which is reasonable. Uh, but but I would I would take these these lessons at this this pool at the, the school where my dad worked, and I was usually the the you know the youngest one in the class. So you have this little four year old there with seven and eight year olds, and and I remember this one lesson where we were we were practicing. I think it was the backstroke and. And the instructor said, okay, Jason, why don't you go ahead and start uh, ahead of everybody else, uh, and, and I'll finish giving them the instructions. And, and I felt so proud, because I thought, well, she's having me do it, because then I can, I can show everybody else the way it should be done. But that's not why she had me go first. <laughs> she had me go first because at four years old, it took me forever to get to the other side of the pool doing the backstroke, especially because I tended to go off on an angle. And, 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 and the reason she had me go was so that everybody could be done with the class in time. And if, as I recall, people, my family sort of smiled and nodded and did not point out that I should not have felt proud about that at all. It's the last thing I should feel proud about. And so when God tells his people, look, I didn't set my affection on you because you were the greatest of all peoples. Why do you think he had to say that? Probably because a whole lot of them thought, yeah, we're really spiffy. We are the best, and God has picked the best. He's like, no. This is like me taking the Jets to the Super Bowl. This is like, sadly, me taking the Orioles to the World Series. The reason I picked you, God says, is so that there will be no confusion when you enter this land, when you achieve military victory. When you win, there will be no confusion as to who really is responsible for that, because they'll take one look at you and say, well, obviously they had help. <laughs> and that, I think, is one of the points that Paul is trying to make in his letter to the Romans. And the part of, we're just taking this tiny little snatch of Romans in, in chapter 10, and that whole 
swath of Romans 9 to 11, Paul is, is talking about the, the, the remarkable uh, grace and mercy of God that's shed up not only upon his people Israel, but upon Gentiles, upon those who were aliens to the promises that God had given. And he, he, says, he, says, he says, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, this, this word, this law, when, when, he, when he says that the word is near you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart, where that comes from in, in Torah, in the Old Testament, is God telling his people, this is, this is not going to be too hard for you to obey. It's right here. This is, this is available to you. But what he says here in Romans is, you know what really is near you, in your mouth, in your heart? Well, it's that gospel of faith that we are proclaiming. Namely, and here it is, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will have to work at it and hope that maybe you can earn his favor enough that he'll let you into heaven. Somebody said, is that, is that what you read? No, that no, was Freddie. That's not what you read, is it? No, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Not maybe might be saved. You are saved. As scripture says, everybody who trusts in him, everybody, will never be put to shame. And there's no difference, Paul says. And this is after Paul has spent a, about a, a, a chapter and change talking about the differences between Jews and Gentiles. He says, actually, there's no difference when it comes to this between Jews and Gentiles. The same Lord is Lord of all. And he richly blesses everybody who calls on him. Whether you come from the right family or not, whether you live in the right kind of neighborhood or not, whether you have the kind of job that impresses people at parties or not, whether you have season tickets in a great spot in the stadium or in a lousy spot in the stadium or on your couch or if you have to go off to the sports bar to watch the game because you don't even have cable. It doesn't matter because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so when we look at the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, we see the example of what it looks like to please God. We see the example of what it looks like to stand before God and to be able to say, I am without fault. I am without blame. I have turned away from evil. I have rejected that which would draw me away from you. And I have said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The great theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great 20th century theologian of not, uh, martyrs of the Nazis, pointed out in his classic work on temptation, he said the difference could not be starker between the story of Jesus' temptation narrative and how he tells us we ought to pray. Because the human being who is competitive and who is confident, who is 
full of himself, will say, bring on the temptation. I'm going to take it on and I'm going to beat it. Or as Sir Galahad said in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, no, I can handle the peril. Bonhoeffer says, no, Jesus, Jesus teaches us to say, lead us not into temptation. Because when we look at what happened to Jesus, we see something that we know full well we could not do. Maybe, maybe once, maybe twice, maybe in our better moments, but on a consistent day-to-day -day basis. We violate all of those commandments that we just said at the beginning of our service that we wanted God to enable us to keep. But God, who is rich in mercy, says that everyone who calls on his name will be saved. And it doesn't take performance of religious duties. It doesn't take being able to chalk up our list of merits and make sure it's bigger than the list of demerits at the end of the day. It is simply by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And by that, and by the work that God has done to enable us to say that 